A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I am proud to announce that Food Pharmacy, one of the biggest health brands in Sweden, is now launching its highly acclaimed blog as well as books and podcasts in English. Food Pharmacy is eager to take its award-winning Scandinavian concept and share it with the rest of the world and to contribute to the fight against the global burden of lifestyle-related diseases. In 2014, Lina Nertby and Mia Klasa started Food Pharmacy, embarking on a long, sometimes meandering, often magical journey towards their goal of improving public health. Along the way, they've spoken with a variety of experts and professionals in various fields related to health and lifestyle. In this podcast series, you'll meet a few of them. Be a part of the journey. This is The Food Pharmacy Show. And welcome back to the Food Pharmacy Show. You are Lena and I am Mia. Yes, we are. <laughs> What's on your mind today, Lena? I actually think about cancer. Oh, cancer. What do you think about when I say the word cancer? Wow, there are so many things that come to me immediately when I hear that word. I feel uh, fear, of course. I feel sadness, powerlessness, but I also feel anger. And another word that pops up is mother. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was only 43 years old. I was a teenager at that time, and I was so angry and scared, of course, Luckily, since I was so young, she won the battle. But 25 years later, she was diagnosed again. And this time she didn't make it. And she passed away in just three months. But I mean, it's not just my mother. You lost a few family members as well. Yes. And cancer is actually the disease I myself have been afraid of all my life. Same here. And cancer is in a way also the initial reason we started food pharmacy, isn't mm. it? Mm. Because six years ago, when your mom, my aunt and our best friend's mom all died of cancer within a year and all of them were way too young. Way too young. They were just around 60 years old. Yeah. And then we ran into a professor And he thought us that lifestyle has a far greater impact on our health than we had ever imagined. Actually, he told us many things. But what really mattered to us at that point was that we have a lot to gain on lifestyle changes. 
Yeah, and this is actually where our journey started. Yes, it is. And the good thing is that the lifestyle and food that can prevent cancer is the same lifestyle and food that can prevent all the biggest lifestyle-related diseases today. Mm. Heart disease, diabetes, type 2, but also obesity, yeah? Yeah, and this is very important to remember. Obesity increases the risk of cancer. And when it comes to children, those who are overweight or obese have an increased risk of getting a serious disease later in life. Uh, Sorry for interrupting you here, because this is uh, very important. We read just the other day that one out of three nine-year-old today are overweight or obese. One out of three. This is also why the Swedish Cancer Society wants the Swedish government to impose a tax on sugary drinks. Yes, and cancer is increasing rapidly over the world. It is. And it's one of the most common causes of death. Mm. But one good news. Love good news. Yeah, and that is cancer survival has more than doubled since the 50s. And this is thanks to the advances in research. Two out of three people diagnosed with cancer now survive. So we have come a long way. We have. But we're not there yet. No, we're not. But apart from early detection, diagnosis and treatment, you have a lot to gain from preventive health. Yes, indeed. According to the World Health Organization... Prevention offers the most cost-effective long-term strategy for the control of cancer. Perfect, I would say. But what is cancer prevention? Cancer prevention is action taken to lower the risk of getting cancer. And this can include maintaining a healthy lifestyle, avoiding exposure to known cancer-causing substances and taking, for example, vaccines that can prevent cancer from developing. According to the Swedish Cancer Society, 30% of all cancer could be prevented with lifestyle changes. We repeat, 30% could be prevented. And today we meet with Professor Robert Thomas. Love Robert Thomas. He's a cancer specialist with 30 years experience in patient care. He has been named Doctor of the Year by Hospital Doctor magazine and Oncologist of the Year by British Oncology Association. He has a particularly strong research interest on how lifestyle interacts with the cancer process and how an optimal lifestyle can improve quality of life and disease outcome following a diagnosis of cancer. And Professor Thomas leads a government research department in England that studies the importance of lifestyle in cancer care. And as a clinical tutor at Cambridge University, he teaches medical students in clinic and at the bedside. Yeah, and he scored the highest grade outstanding clinical teacher from every student for three years running. So, are we ready? We are so honored to welcome Professor Thomas to the Food Pharmacy Show.
For being a doctor, you are unique for integrating nutritional and lifestyle strategies into cancer treatment. And I am so curious to know where this passion comes from. My passion to try to empower patients to help themselves probably started about 20 years ago when I became a consultant, which was really busy. And it was very hard to spend time to explain things to patients. So we thought, well, let's develop strategies um, so they can go away and learn for themselves. And that originally started off as just information materials. And then we realized that a lot of the information wasn't backed with science. So uh, from that, we developed a, a research laboratory to try and find out what things patients should do so we can then tell them. So um, and then more and more, we got more interested in, in the field because at the end of the day, it is an interesting field. We all want to know what we should do in life to better our chances. Yeah, for longevity. Mm. So let's start from the beginning. We can't change our genes. However, we can change the way they behave. Correct. Some people are born with very robust genes, and we've all met these relatives who smoke and drink all their life and who are overweight and still live till 90. Mm. They're the lucky ones. And yet, on the other side of the coin, we have people who are born with very fragile genes, so they're very prone to get cancer or other degenerative conditions. And uh, th those people, you know, sometimes live the life of an angel and still get cancer at a young age. But the vast majority of us are in between. And we do have a very strong influence on how our genes express and how the expression of those genes determines whether we get a chronic illness, including cancer. Mm. So I read in your book that a common question put by someone who has been diagnosed with cancer is, why me? But maybe we should rather ask ourselves, why not me? Since we have thousands of potential cancers already programmed in our DNA. Mm. I didn't know this. Yes, I mean, many patients find it surprising. They, they think you've caught cancer somehow, but we're born with cancers locked in our DNA. And it takes a break of the DNA, so a genetic damage, which could be um, spontaneous, or it could be uh, the food you've eaten or the, the lifestyle you've chosen to live, not exercising, etc. And when those genes then become expressed, the cells become abnormal. And there's a whole cascade of things which happen before that cell becomes a full-blown cancer. It has to go through various processes like oxidative repair, DNA repair, even the immunity can mop up many cells. So it's been estimated that probably about 5,000 cells potentially become cancerous every day and our normal defences stop them happening. So Every day? Every day, yes. So, uh, so that's why I say, you know, it's, we should say, why haven't we got cancer? Mm. I mean, the body is amazing that it is able to protect itself from cancers. But um, unfortunately, in, in over a lifetime, uh, one in two of us will get cancer. Mm. So it is increasing and it is now a common disease. Mm. A few weeks ago, it was the World Cancer Day. And uh, I read that the World Cancer Organization, they urge for uh, doctors and uh, organizations to spread the word that... Uh, knowledge about our lifestyle and food could prevent millions of cancer mm. diagnoses. 
and also uh, a lot of um, uh, people dying from cancer. So approximately one third of all cancer could be prevented only by choosing the right kind of food. Uh, Yes, I mean, the the latest figures from the WHO and the World Cancer Research Fund is that half cancers actually are um, determined by lifestyle. So it would be up to 50%. Mm. Of course, if you talk about how many would die of cancer, I mean, many of those people would be fortunately cured, but have to go through the trauma of cancer treatments. Um, you know, there's there's lots of statistics we can quote. For example, if you eat processed meat, there's there's a, more than three times a week you have an 18% chance of dying of bowel cancer. So even just reducing your meat intake will reduce the risk of dying of bowel cancer by about 20%. Mm. So yes, there's lots we can do. And uh, obviously in the book, I've gone through the various different things. Um, you know, the obvious ones are uh, not smoking. Uh, don't uh, get sunburn, um, eat lots of... And sorry for interrupting, I also learned that don't smoke in the sun, talking about these two, because then your risk even gets bigger. Yes, and and many people don't talk about the interaction between different carcinogens. Um, But of course, we have one strip of DNA being attacked. And if you attack it with one thing, such as smoking, that's bad enough. But if you attack it with three or four different things at the same time, so if you're in the sun and you're you're lazing around, you have poor gut health, you're smoking, you're hitting that DNA with multiple different attacks. On the other side of the coin, uh, reassuringly, if, for example, you have a nice glass of red wine and you don't smoke uh, and you don't sunburn um, the, the, and you put olive oil on your skin after you've been in the sun, those are all protective. So mm. you might have a little bit of sunburn, which is not good, but you could mitigate the risks very significantly by a healthy diet, a glass of wine and improving your gut health. Mm. Talking about gut health, you're at the right place. <laughs> Good. And we've been writing books about gut health. Mm. But what importance would you say that the gut is for for our for a healthy life? Well, I've always been keen on uh, promoting gut health for 20 years, but I'm really uh, pleased to see that the medical profession, particularly oncology, has now woken up to this. And there's various conspiratory theories why this happened. Um, We know that if you have a poor gut health, you're more likely to respond uh, badly to cancer treatments. You're more likely to get side effects from chemotherapy, side effects from radiotherapy. Um, More more recently, oncology has moved over to biological treatments. These are called immunotherapies. And like, for example, 10 years ago, I would say um, 80% of my patients are on chemotherapy I would say it's now down to about 15%. The rest are on these biological treatments, which the scientific community has done really well to develop. They're amazing new drugs. And what they tend to do is they uh, uncloak a cancer cell so that your own immunity can recognize it and kill it. And let's face it, the immunity kills thousands of cells a day anyway. But when a cancer's formed a, a, a mass, it's harder for it. So, and it would have developed mechanisms to hide from the immunity. So, in other words, all these drugs are doing is telling yourself to kill the cancer. Now, if yourself is in a poor condition, in other words, you have poor gut health, or you have a, a, a bad diet, uh, and you have lots of other carcinogens, you are not able 
to interact with these drugs and kill your cancer. Now, that's not just my opinion. There are now reports coming out from institutes like Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York or MD Anderson showing that there is a 40% improved response rate from these new biologicals if you have improved gut health. That so, is really high. <laughs> exactly. And these, these are, well, that's great for us, mm. humanity. It's also great for the drug companies because if you think about it, these drugs are over £100,000 or 150,000 euros a year. So mm. if they're getting a 40% increased response rate, their share price is going to yeah. go through the roof. So suddenly they're promoting, uh, in conferences, maybe 10 years ago, I was talking about gut health and behind the pillar with two people in the audience. Mm. You talk about gut health now and there's a packed audience mm. all trying to find out how we can improve the gut health of our patients. To such an extent, we're now thinking about prehabilitation programs. So before giving these drugs, they go off to, uh, they go to listen to your, your podcast mm. and they look at your, your book mm. and they eat those foods to improve the gut health and then they have the treatments, which is more likely to respond and get less toxicity. Mm. That's wonderful because in that way you could combine. I mean, you often when uh, I read about about pharma, big pharma and food, it's they it felt, it felt like they've been far away from each other. But this is actually a way where where you can see the the benefit from from one and another. Absolutely, that's really good. So many people have a belief that a person who suffers from cancer should put all the effort to focus on treatment and live just as normal. I read that you said nothing could be more wrong. Well, we've just talked about gut health. Mm. So if uh, my advice for anyone just diagnosed with cancer is try to improve your gut health as much as possible. Um, on top of that, we know from lots of data now, this is, this is established data, um, that if you exercise three hours a week, at least after most cancers, particularly breast, bowel and prostate, you have a better chance of responding to treatments. You're less likely to get toxicities such as fatigue, um, weight gain, diabetes, heart attacks. But you have a 30 to 40% reduced chance of your cancer relapsing mm. after initial treatments. The same applies to what we call polyphenol-rich foods. Mm. Now, these are um, natural chemicals in food which give it its color its taste and its smell. And I've just looked at your book and basically every, every ingredient has, has a, is polyphenol rich. And these foods have enormous benefits. They, they promote gut health because they act as prebiotics to feed the healthy bacteria. They reduce inflammation and improve immunity mm. uh, as well as lots of other benefits. So, uh, and, and it's known that uh, that if you eat these foods after cancer, you also have a 30 to 40% reduction in the risk of cancer coming back. So there's several things you can do which will significantly improve your outcomes. So you're talking about uh, food rich in polyphenols and antioxidants. Would you recommend the same food if someone wants to prevent getting cancer in the first way? Is it the same food you would uh, recommend Yes, pretty pretty much so. That uh, you know, healthy food is healthy food at any part of the pathway. So it's preventing cancer, it's improving your tolerance to treatments, and it's reducing the risk of um, cancer coming back. And it mustn't be forgotten that um, many of the toxicity of cancer treatments are things people get every day anyway, such as diabetes, heart attack, stroke, cognitive disorders, dementia. Mm. 
And these are more common after cancer treatments. So it's even more important to concentrate on your health to avoid other illnesses. Mm. You said exercise three times a week. You can exercise uh, in different ways. Do you mean go into the gym or go out running or what could you choose? Or Yes, I mean, I, one of my side hobbies is to lead the UK Expert Advisory Committee on Exercise and Cancer. So we have these discussions. We've had these discussions for 10 years. What is exercise? How much is needed? Um, and, and there's different levels of benefit. So if you get off the couch... If you just walk around, you will reduce the risk of getting blood clots, which is a a significant toxicity of treatment. So even doing a little bit of exercise will give you a a big benefit. To have the anti-cancer properties of exercise kicking in, you really have to uh, work a little bit harder. Mm. Because when you start getting breathless and hot, you... Uh, well, it's about 180 chemicals are formed into in your bloodstream, most of which have anti-cancer properties, and they they only really start kicking in when you when you start working at exercise. So, ambling around the the, the park, looking at the roses, may be um, slightly beneficial, but going for a run or getting hot and sweaty or anything you enjoy, so an exercise class, uh, being on a treadmill, um, you know, playing a, a competitive sport like. In Britain, walking football is very popular. For Walking um, football? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a competitive, uh, not quite so um, strenuous exercise for elderly men and women. Mm. Um, so, But it's things which you enjoy and is sustainable. Mm. So there's no point putting someone in a gym if they don't enjoy it. But if they enjoy walking football or they uh, enjoy rowing, um, and part of the role we're doing now, in certainly in the cancer unit I work, is to try to interview patients and work with them to see what they would are likely to enjoy and adopt behavioural change interviewing to, to, to encourage them to continue with that exercise for the rest of their life. After yeah, the because cancer. then it's more, if you enjoy something, it's more likely you stick to it than if uh, it's something you dislike. Yeah. Of course. Uh, and, and to be honest, with the, the coronavirus outbreak, I'm, I'm not encouraging patients to go and exercising in gyms at the moment. No. You know, get some fresh air, go outside. Mm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So 
you have actually collected the most interesting scientific studies on natural health and cancer. And you have put them together in a book called Keep Healthy After Cancer. And I read this book and uh, I strongly recommend it to anyone who want to know more about the studies out there. And I mean, in general... We will go down into specific uh, foods, but in general, what would you say we should um, have more of and what should we avoid mm. having well, that's, more of? That's, Alina, that's a, that's a very long question. We could talk <laughs> yeah. for three hours on that. I mean, the reason why I, I actually wrote the book is, is we've written over 100 medical uh, publications in scientific journals, which are read by doctors, which is fine but a lot of that uh, doesn't dissipate down to patients where it's needed so um i i i summarized the salient points of the medical trials and put it into a lay book so it's it's quite scientific at times but i think people want to know you know exactly why they should change their life and if it's explained um to them they're more likely to sustain the change but so it's split up into um, first of all the fundamentals of Um, what is cancer, why it's formed, what goes wrong in our bodies when it's formed, why some people are more vulnerable than others. And then there's a large section on things which are likely to to increase your risk of cancer. Um, And, you know, the obvious um, uh, is smoking, um, Mm. uh, sunburning, not being in the sun. Being in the sun, as you know, coming from Scandinavia is, is healthy because it puts your vitamin D levels up. Mm. Um, and that comes brings us to having low vitamin D is, mm. is, is, is not good. It increases the risk of cancer and other degenerative diseases. Uh, and then the, the carcinogens. Um, and carcinogens can either be damaging because they promote inflammation or they can be directly damaging to DNA and fundamentally cancers in our DNA. So if you damage DNA, you're increasing the risk of cancer. And then it goes through all the different common carcinogens in our environment. So, you know, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are in burnt meat, mm. uh, nitrous amines, which is in meat, um, which you eat without um, having vegetables with it, for example. Uh, and then you've got the... Uh, phytoamide. Acrylamide. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Mm. Acrylamides. Well, acrylamides is, uh, I've got to be careful about acrylamides in Sweden because um, there's quite a lot of acrylamides in, in rye bread and mm. crackers, which you eat a lot of. And yeah. I was criticized for yeah. that. And the evidence isn't that strong, actually. So uh, mm. it's, it's not as strong as, say, um, uh, aromatic hydrocarbons in meat. Mm. Uh, but yes, there is, there is some thought. If you have sugary foods which are baked to high temperature or even carbohydrate-rich foods baked to high temperatures, they generate acrylamides. Like a muffin, for example. Yeah, so anything, uh, crisps, crisps, for example, yeah. Pringles, without, I don't want to mention a brand, but yeah. they're particularly bad because they're processed carbohydrate with added sugar baked at a very high temperature. Mm. So that's a, that's a perfect storm for increasing your acrylamide content. So that is what we should avoid if something... Yeah, I mean, if if you're in if you're in a buffet and and you get you see, you know, crackers, um, uh, burnt bread or bread which is burnt, you know, black toast for example, uh, um, crisps, Pringles, that that's that's um, yeah, steer clear if you can. Mm-hmm. I will. <laughs> and when it comes to um, food that we should have more of, 
you say that having vegetables to every meal, fruit and vegetables, could actually help a lot. Um, so it's very important when you consider a meal, uh, which even with the best will in the world, will have some bad things and some good things. But obviously, it's the balance to good things. So for example, if you eat meat, you will have nitrates included. And those nitrates are metabolized into nitroso compounds. Now, nitroso compounds are very carcinogenic. However, if you eat meat with lots of uh, fruit and vegetables, particularly vegetables, they contain polyphenols and vitamin C, which actually converts the nitrate into nitric oxide which is actually healthy it causes peripheral dilation of blood vessels so it lowers your blood pressure and um, it it's supposed to improve brain function and sports performance and, and many things that's why people eat nitrate rich foods for, to improve sports performance for example mm. so it's um so on the other hand if you have a big plate of meat and you eat it with say chips or, or fries or a you know, burger bread with, with no um, natural antidote you're just getting all the um, negative part mm. so it's about combining foods is the most important but i would as a general rule Every meal should have something colourful, fresh, um, preferably raw, where the polyphenols and the phytochemicals which protect us are there in greater quantities. Mm. Because you lift specifically antioxidants. Mm. Could you just explain why the antioxidants in fruit and vegetables are so healthy to us? Um, well, I, I, we've actually stopped using the term antioxidants. Mm -hmm. um, it's because uh, it was overused in the past. Um, um, phytochemicals and polyphenols in foods um, have an antioxidant property, but they do, they're not direct antioxidants. They only enhance the antioxidant pathway. Now, Antioxidant system refers to a thing called oxidative stress. Now, this occurs within the nucleus of a cell. So if we have too many um, damaging chemicals called free radicals, and these are generated actually naturally within the cell when it creates energy, but it's um, but conditions which require more energy, so being overweight, um, having chronic inflammation in your body requires more energy production. So you get more free radicals. And if on the other side you have, um, you, you don't have enough polyphenols or you have a mineral deficiency, you have a deficiency in the production of antioxidant enzymes. Mm. Now, all polyphenols in fruit and veg do is they encourage the capacity of the antioxidant enzymes. So they make it more efficient. So if you then do something, uh, you, you, you say, go for a run, and you have lots of free radicals. If you're healthy, your antioxidant system upregulates and balances it. Um, if you then eat direct antioxidants, which are actually vitamin A and vitamin E and some synthetic antioxidants, there is a danger you mop up too many free radicals and the balance between the oxidative and the antioxidative stress is impaired. We also know, because I'm I'm actually on my, my other hat is, is, is actually a sports scientist in the local mm -hmm. university. So we do a lot of uh, experiments on people and sportsmen. Now, unlike polyphenols, which upregulate the antioxidant enzymes, the vitamin A and vitamin E blocks the upregulation of the antioxidant system. So you'll get a, a brief benefit from taking 
antioxidants, which are actually vitamin A and vitamin E. Mm. But in the longer term, in other words, hours after exercise, when they go out of your system, you haven't upregulated the natural enzymes. So it leads to worse oxidative stress. And that's why sportsmen now are told not to take vitamin A and vitamin E supplements because it increases the risk of muscle damage, joint pains. Now, from, an, from a cancer perspective, it also increases the risk of cancer if you regularly take high doses of antioxidants. Mm. But the trouble is the general public don't understand that antioxidants only refers to, to, to chemicals which can directly mop up a free radical. In other words, vitamin A and vitamin E. Mm. Now, it's been known for 15 years that, that these trials which have been conducted with those vitamins had to be stopped because they increased the risk of cancer. Is it, wasn't it particularly lung cancer with one vitamin E? I, I uh, there was there was a, there was there was about five or six different studies. Oh. I mean, there was the, there was two on lung cancer. There was one on head and neck cancer. There's mo- one more recently looking at a number of degenerative diseases, cancer and heart disease and diabetes, all of which were increased in a population who took vitamin A and vitamin E supplements. There was the SELECT study, which um, was looking at selenium and vitamin E. I don't think it was the selenium, I think it was the vitamin E, which showed an increased risk of prostate cancer at the end of it. So I'm not saying if you're deficient in those vitamins, it's good, Mm. but most of us aren't deficient. Mm. I mean, I do a nutritional test online and most people come back with pretty adequate vitamin A and vitamin E with a good diet. Mm. So I'm just talking about supplement, but it's very confusing for the public because the journalists will say antioxidants are bad, which is actually technically correct. But when the person reading it looks at it, they think antioxidants are things in fruit and veg or supplements which don't have any antioxidants, Mm. direct Mm. antioxidants. So, uh, and then some people say supplements are bad. Well, supplements could include vitamin D, which we mm. know is very healthy to take. Mm. It could also include a vitamin which someone needs uh, because they're deficient in it, like mm. vitamin B12 or something. Mm. So it, it, I, as a consequence of that, sorry, it's a long answer, I avoid the term antioxidant because it's leading to confusion. But if we talk about uh, polyphenols, because uh, uh, that is uh, what we get a lot from by eating fruit and vegetables, and also talking about supplements, your team is well known for a study I read Mm. about, P-O-M-I-T. Yeah. yeah? And uh, and this study is... uh, it's unique in a way because it's a it's a big quite big study, mm. and it's on uh, on a supplement, and it's very hard to uh, to find finance for these kind of mm. studies. Mm. So could you tell us about what you found in this? Uh, because it was about polyphenols. Yes. Yeah, so. Mm. Um, well, we, d- we first of all, we looked at our, asked our patients if they were taking supplements and about 80% were. Mm. Um, we then looked at what they were taking and about half of them were taking things which might have even done harm, such as vitamin A or vitamin E supplements or chemicals removed. So any, any supplement which contains a chemical which is removed from food and mm. concentrated has not been shown to be beneficial. Mm. 
So we then formed a government, it was a government committee actually, we formed a scientific group and said, well, let's have a look at different foods and see which ones are most likely to have an anti-cancer effect. And we came down, I mean, lots are, I mean, in your cookbook, nearly every page has got foods which have anti-cancer effects. But mm. within a study, we have to quantify it. So obviously, it's easier to put it into a whole food supplement. Mm. Um we're not saying you should take that instead of a, uh, a good diet, but it's often a way to boost the intake of those foods, particularly, say, first thing in the morning and lunchtime. Because in the UK, for example, it's, it's not common to start the day with polyphenol-rich foods such as turmeric, green tea, broccoli, pomegranates. Um, so we first of all, we determined the evidence from animal studies and from um, cell line studies and and limited clinical studies and th those four foods seem to meet the best criteria. It's also important to combine food from different food sources. So there's no point in taking, say, ginger and turmeric um, because they're actually from the same family and they're the same, more or less the same polyphenols. So we wanted polyphenols from different groups. So you have a broad spectrum which attacks different parts of the cancer pathway. So that was the uh, hypothesis to see if we can boost the diet with a, a simple whole food supplement, which didn't have direct antioxidant properties. Uh, and therefore, we just conducted a trial called a double blind randomized study where half the people took the supplement and half had a placebo, mm. um, which is the most robust uh, trial you can design. It was government funded and government audited. So that's also made it very different. So there was no commercial backing to it. Um, and we were very pleased to see that after six months, there was a very significant difference in the rate of progression of prostate cancer. I didn't mention all these men had early prostate cancer in this trial. Uh, and then we presented that in uh, in ASCO, in the world's largest cancer conference. So there was no resistance from the medical profession, actually. This is a, a very much a, a drug a conference, and, and we were uh, invited to present as one of the 10 best studies for that year. So there was a lot of interest oh, wow. in it. Yeah. yeah, we were very pleased about that. So I think the, the medical profession is open-minded about nutrition. Mm. The problem is, it's very rare that a nutritional study is is evaluated in that strict robust format so um so they would believe the data mm. and then from then we had to do a sub-study because people said it may have just affected the psa we did a study to show it did actually affect the underlying size of the tumor so on mri scans mm. um so we, we were delighted for that from then um, although that was a non-commercial, it has gone on and, and it's now made uh, over, all over the world and, and people have a choice of taking it, mm. um, which, um, as I say, works for some people if their diet isn't perfect mm. and others if they maybe just want a, an extra boost. Mm. So um, talking about supplements, we talked about uh, vitamin D mm. before and uh you mentioned that uh, deficiency in vitamin D actually could increase the risk of uh, getting cancer. And uh, what would you say if you live in a country like this where you mm. hardly see the sun six months a year? Mm. Is it advisable to, to take supplements of vitamin D and why? Um, I would say yes, the answer to that. Um, the data is confusing. Um, it is very clear, and nobody would argue, that if you are vitamin D deficient, you have an increased risk of cancer. 
you have an increased risk of arthritis, heart disease, dementia, lots of chronic diseases. What is less clear, if you take a supplement, will you reduce your risk? There's been lots of studies done over the years, and most of them don't show a significant benefit. But I feel it's because they're, they're not very well designed. Mm. For example, the last one from Canada didn't measure vitamin D levels at the start of the study because it's, clearly, it's clear that the people who are going to benefit most are the people with a low level from the start. Mm. And my view is that people probably didn't go into the study if, if they... Um, if they were if if they had low levels, they probably just took the supplement. So I don't think there's been a definitive trial yet to prove that. Um, there was one in prostate cancer recently in men who were on active surveillance. So a bit like the POMI-T study, they were, they were being watched. And they quite clearly showed that people who took supplements uh, progressed at a slower rate. Mm. So I always tell my men uh, who I see on active surveillance, in the winter months to just routinely take a vitamin D supplement between one and 2,000 international units a day mm. from, you know, around about October to, to, to April. Mm. There's certainly no study to show it does any harm, mm. unlike vitamin A and vitamin E. So it won't do any harm. It's not expensive. Uh, if you can afford a winter holiday, you know, halfway through, mm. um, vitamin D has a six-week half-life. So if you can go on a go to the Canary Islands halfway through the, the winter, that would also be beneficial. Mm. So what you say is that when it comes to supplements, the best thing you could do actually is to test yourself to know what supplements do you need. Yeah. But to be very careful and don't take supplements of vitamin A and E if you're not deficient in it. Vitamin D, if you live in a country like this, could be beneficial. Talking about fat, you say that there is strong evidence that unhealthy fat and calorie excess adds to the risk of developing cancer. Yeah, that's two sort of slightly different things. You can have calorie excess just mm. from eating too much food. In mm. fact, there was one study showed that if you eat too much healthy food, <laughs> mm. you're having too many calories. Mm. So, And that um, increases the glycemic index and glycemic load, and that creates inflammation. But there are some fats like trans fats, mm. which aren't really used by the body uh, for anything useful. And they are, um, they're just... It's just calories. So, you know, the things in, in chip fat and uh, fat added to, to meats often and previously margarines. I think people are using less and less margarines mm. now, aren't they? Mm. Um, they're just bad. You know, there's, there's no benefit for them. Other fats, um, you know, which you find omega-3, omega-6. This is what, where I was going yeah. to about supplements on omega-3. Yeah, they, they can be... Um, you know they can they can be very healthy. We need them. I mean, the brain is 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 thirty percent omega six. So, you know we need these 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 fats for healthy living. Um, so, but again, if you have too many of those, there's too many calories. And uh, some people who are worried about weight gain need to reduce all fat intake. But mm. for the rest of us, you know, fats are good because they are slow release energy. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of energy in fat, but it's slow release. So it doesn't increase the glycemic index. They're needed for various bodily functions like cell wall function. Mm. 
Mm. Um, there is just on this, I just want to state a myth between omega-3 and omega-6. It's commonly seen in cookbooks and other things that omega-6 is pro-inflammatory and omega-3 is anti-inflammatory, which is actually a complete myth. There's no truth in it at all. Oh, we tell need, us. We need both fats. Yeah, but in balance, isn't that so? They yes. should be in balance. Yes. And isn't it so that we have uh, extracted omega-3 or the food industry has extracted omega-3 from a lot of food because it's uh, it's so sensitive. So uh, the food is uh, is getting old uh, oh, quicker. Is it? Uh, uh, this uh, is what I've read. But that this has created an imbalance between omega-3 and omega-6. So many people have more omega-6 in relation to omega-3. Yes, it is. But uh, you're entirely right. If you, I mean, I, as I say, I do a nutritional profile where we measure all the different omega fats, and it's it's often the omega threes which are low. Mm. Um, but um, it's still heard that, you, that omega six promotes inflammation. It's not true. Omega six is in the pathway of inflammation which means you need omega six for the inflammatory pathway, which mm. of course we all need appropriate inflammation but an efficient uh, inflammatory process also needs omega-6 to stop inflammation when uh, we don't need it or... omega-6 yeah, okay, so omega so it, it's it's I, I i it's one of the things i i really um it's sort of a bit of a bugbear when i hear people saying you must reduce omega-6 no if you want to balance you need to increase your omega-3 but don't reduce your omega-6 foods such as avocados full of omega-6 lots mm. of vegetable fats are omega-6 but you're right we do need to increase our omega-3s and that's hard because two studies showed taking omega-3 supplements increase the risk of prostate cancer mm. both from the same author in california um my take on that is, which is rather surprising, nobody mentioned that both supplements have vitamin E in, which has been proven to increase the risk of cancer. So they label omega-3 supplements as carcinogenic, but nobody saw the elephant in the room, that it was actually the antioxidant they added to it to stop it going off was, omega, was uh, vitamin E. So um, I would say it probably is safe to take an omega-3 supplement as long as it doesn't have a direct antioxidant added Mm. Unfortunately, most do because otherwise they'd go off. Mm. And omega-3 supplements, when they go off in a process called lipoperoxidase, that actually is carcinogenic. So Mm. um, you're stuck then. What do you do? The only thing you can do is try to eat more uh, seafood, fresh fish, uh, and some foods like uh, flax seeds and some uh, ch- chia seeds have an omega-3. So you have to make a real effort to increase your omega-3s. And I've noticed in your cookbook, you have things like uh, you know, chia and, and f- fish. Mm. Is that right? Mackerel. Mackerel, yeah. yeah, things like that. But mm. you have to, um, you know, certainly the British diet is very poor. You know, we're surrounded by sea. But, you know, if I ask my friends how many times they had mackerel a mm. week, they would probably say once a month or once every two months. It needs mm. to be... Every week, I'm afraid. Mm. You mentioned before a few foodstuffs like broccoli, mm. turmeric, pomegranate. And uh, would you regard these as uh, like natural superfoods? Yeah, the word superfood uh, really relates to foods which have got high levels of polyphenols and phytochemicals which have health benefits which apply to many foods even common foods like apples and bananas and things but um, some have more than others and some have a, a certain type of polyphenol so uh, broccoli for example has uh, uh, 
uh, indole-3-carbonyl and sulfurophane, which are particularly good for, uh, I think, a process called epigenetics. So they promote the genes which uh, fight cancer. They reduce chronic inflammation. So the, those are the two, and they improve gut health because they act as prebiotics and they've got fiber and vitamins and minerals in as well. So they're, they're pretty super, you know, they're mm. pretty good for you. Um, and the same applies for turmeric, which has anti-inflammatory properties. Tea, um, pomegranate is 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 got uh, tannins. So all those foods certainly they were the ingredients of of pommy tea for the trial. That's why we picked them. But anything within that category is 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 beneficial. And just to stress again, these are not direct antioxidants. They promote the antioxidant pathway and make it more efficient, mm. and they reduce inflammation improve gut health. They actually also slow the transfer of sugar across the gut wall. So if you have something sugary, but you've eaten it with these foods, you get a less effect of the sugar. It slows the glycemic index. So, you know, there's, we could talk for, you know, five hours on the benefits of polyphenol-rich mm. foods. They are amazing. They're a gift from nature to us. So a dessert with turmeric latte mm. and some pomegranate on top of it would uh, would be uh, um, good. Y- yes, if you like turmeric for a dessert, I think some people... A turmeric latte, you know, you can drink it as a coffee. Yes, yeah. I, I think in my <laughs> blog I have got a recipe for that, but... Yeah. Um, Well, a dessert for me, for example, because I, I, I've got a little bit of a sweet tooth. I don't have processed sugar. I would have a a, a yogurt, which is uh, natural with mm. natural bacteria in. Uh, maybe some um, some um, passion fruit, uh, mango, some um, pomegranate, that sort of thing. Mm. And within the meal, I would try to use as much pepper, turmeric, chili, even herbs and spices. Um, and you know, enjoy a, a tea. But uh, I do take the the supplement as well because, um, like all of us, we're a bit busy at times, mm. and I, I just get the reassurance by taking it with my breakfast and lunch. Mm. We talked about the dessert, and you said I don't have sugar. So this is uh, something I would like to uh, discuss a little bit because in your book you write that uh, it's good to avoid sugar, mm. and. Uh, At least in Sweden, it has been a big debate where, I mean, sugar is, to me, it's pretty clear that sugar, mm. it's not, it, we don't need sugar, refined sugar. Mm. But uh, why would you say we should avoid sugar when it comes to cancer risks? Yes, I mean, it's a good point. Sugar is not an essential nutrient. It didn't exist in the human diet till probably 100 years ago. Um, and it always fascinates me Um Uh, dietitians within hospital who I work with uh, seem to think it's perfectly okay to advise sugar for patients. But the tide is turning. There is more and more evidence coming from large studies. I've just conducted one uh, on a, a database with 155,000 people, wow. which were followed for 20 years. And we ask questions about their diet. You know, do you eat polyphenol-rich foods? Do you smoke? Do you exercise? Do you have processed sugar? And it was, you know, barn door that people who had sugar had an increased risk for cancer. There's um, and there's various mechanisms for this. We know that processed people who eat processed sugar, not in fruit and vegetables, that's completely different, but processed sugar or refined carbohydrates have an increased risk of diabetes. Mm. Uh, diabetes is strongly linked to an increased risk of cancer. Mm. And the mechanism behind processed sugar is, it, well, it, again, the list is as long as your arm, but the, the salient points are, first of all, they're absorbed very quickly. 
your your um, insulin levels go up, then drop quite quickly because um, the sugar then uh, the sugar then levels drop. You feel hungry again, so it actually encourages you to eat more. So yeah. not only is sugar it's got a lot of calories, you're hungry an hour later and you you eat again. Yeah. If you start the day, for example, and I've not so a couple of years ago I changed to making sure there's absolutely zero sugar for breakfast, just 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 um, fruit and other yeah. things. Um, you don't get hungry halfway through the morning. You can go all the way through to the, you know, one, two o'clock. So you've had a period of, of fasting effectively, mm. comfortable because you're not getting hungry. Um, so you don't need it. Uh, secondly, we know that sugar feeds the bad bacteria in the gut. There's two, simply put, there's two uh, types of bacteria, good and bad. The good bacteria improve gut health improve gut integrity, stop leaky gut syndrome, which allows toxins to enter your body, which increases inflammation. Sugar feeds the bad bacteria, which displaces the good bacteria, causes inflammation in the gut wall, causes the gut wall to get thin. We're more likely to get IBS, food intolerances. We absorb the toxins of food very quickly. That creates inflammation in your body. And it's thought to be one of the theories why we people get type 1 diabetes, because these toxins swilling around your blood, the body's constantly trying to fight them and our immunity's uh, raised and it, it hits other things. It's hitting those toxins, but it's hitting our joints, hitting our brains, hitting our pancreas. Mm. So, you know, sugar is <laughs> the evil of many diseases. Mm. Uh, we also know that it, it creates uh, an inflammatory reaction so that when it's absorbed, uh, the body, for some reason, thinks it's had a big meal, and it, just through nature, it creates this, these inflammatory markers. And I, I, in the book, I've described the biochemical reasons behind that. Now, there's this quirk of nature that if you have inappropriate high inflammation, that drives tumor cells. It reduces DNA repair, and it encourages tumor cells to grow faster and spread and form roots and form metastases. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Um, and, and the evidence is becoming clearer. I think people who stand up and say sugar's not as bad as, as it is haven't read the data. It's mm. coming through. Biochemically, it's obvious. And clinically, it's obvious. Mm. Uh, I, I sat exactly here at this table uh, with the Minister for Public Health in Sweden and I interviewed her and I asked if uh, Sweden shouldn't put a tax on sugary drinks as you've done in uh, Great Britain. And uh, she actually didn't believe in that, mm. even though we see now uh, the effect in uh, UK, also in Chile, what happens. Mm. Um, do you think that we should impose a tax on sugar to... Uh, to try to get people to avoid having as much as we have? Yes, as long as that money is used to promote healthy foods, not just a tax no. so they can buy more missiles or something. No. <laughs> I mean, I was in Lithuania recently uh, with the Minister of Health to, to, to support him putting a sugar tax. He became very unpopular, I have to say. Mm -hmm. But come on, on a hot summer's day, you go into a shop and a fizzy sugary drink is, you know, um, is, is half a euro. Mm. And a bottle of water is 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 two euros. Yeah. You know, I mean that's, that's so <laughs> crazy. It should be the other way around. Yeah. Um, and also, it gives a signal to people that sugar is bad. I mm. mean, you might laugh at an experiment we did in our cancer unit, where um, 
grateful patients are always donating sweets and chocolates to the nurses. So the nurses station is full of them. So I've made myself very unpopular by banning sugar mm. just in the 60, in our unit, which has 60 staff for a period of three months. Mm. And we then measured uh, weight mm. and we measured happiness score and we measured absenteeism. All three improved when we replaced sugar. And we added nuts and fruit and veg instead so they could eat on something. The main reason was it wasn't in their field of vision. Mm. They could, if they're feeling hungry, they reach out to a nut or an apple or something rather than a biscuit or, or something. So that was a, a very small move, a very small change in behaviour. It might actually have a very significant impact across the NHS, which has a problem with obesity and diabetes and absenteeism. But it also gave a signal to the patients when they came in. They thought, well, hang on, there's something wrong with this sugar. And then they think about their own diet. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I strongly believe a tax is one way um, which will alert patients, of, sorry, the population of the, the harm of sugar. In monetary terms, it shouldn't. It doesn't really make a lot of addition because different because it's a few a few euros you know on the, on a shopping once a week it doesn't mm. really affect many people but it's the signal it gives them mm. that sugar is harmful mm. i i totally agree i read in in your book that uh, there was a study made on people who had two soft drinks a week and how actually this increased the risk of uh, getting sick and I was amazed because mm. I don't remember the percentage here now, but I, I recall it was uh, quite high, mm. higher than I thought. And I, I think that um, uh, average people today, it's quite common to have at least two soft mm. drinks in a week. Yes, it, it, these these studies are cohort studies, so they're based on questionnaires. So you, it's very difficult to have the exact figure. And mm. when when it's published, you say two or three. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it is more it's more harmful. And don't forget, you're doing this habit mm. all your life from from a child mm. to adulthood of taking something which your body perceives as dangerous. Um, I haven't mentioned cholesterol levels. Actually, mm. sugars more responsible for high cholesterol than than fats mm. yeah everyone the public health message is to reduce fats mm. not to reduce sugar the last three large studies from uh, the american actually all showed it was the sugar driving the cholesterol level mm. so um um, yeah, it, it's it's we eat a lot of it over a long period of time. Mm. I also think it's combining. We talked about combining before, mm. um, and when you have the sugar, um, if you, for example, have had lunch and you've got you know nice healthy lunch which you're promoting, and you fancy something a little bit sweet afterwards, well, your stomach's already digesting the food, adding a little bit of processed sugar. I'm not saying it's good, but the impact is quite small. Mm. But if you're halfway through the morning and feeling hungry, there's nothing much in your stomach, and then you have a fizzy drink or a cake, that sugar was, will have a much higher impact on the biochemistry of your body. So it's when you have the sugar. So uh, what would you say about artificial sweeteners? Many, many people say, well, I stopped sugar. Hmm. I only cook with agave syrup or, mm. you know. Yeah. Oh, as I say, we have many debates about, you know, what, should, what is harmful, what isn't harmful. Whole fruits 
do have sugar, it's about 10% as opposed to 100% in sugar itself. Uh, and don't forget, whole fruits have polyphenols, which reduce the, um, uh, the transfer of sugar across the gut wall, reducing the glycemic index and have their own benefits. So whole fruits is fine. Honey is still very, very high in fructose. Again, if you're going to have it, have it after the meal. People then talk about artificial sweeteners. And, you know, at first sight, you think, well, there was no real direct correlation with cancer with them. That was overstated as a risk. Um, and I, my initial thought was, yeah, well, that, you know, maybe if they can't stop sugar, that's better than, than sugar. Unfortunately, there's been a, a series of trials published last year which shows that they, um, they damaged gut health. Mm. So uh, they're not good for gut health. Um, and we know that gut health is really important. So I'm afraid uh, they're not a healthy alternative. So uh, I, I don't know what you do when you want to have something sweet, but to me it's very easy if you bake something or do something at home to sweet with just uh, a sweet fruit or something. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be to be honest, that your your uh, your taste buds change. It mm. changes from salt. Mm. Um, uh, many people have reduced salt, and, and after a while you don't notice it. In fact, you find food's quite offensive if you've had the same thing applies to sugar if you as you say use use bananas or or whole fruits you like that and suddenly you're offered a cake yeah. packed full of sugar you you don't like the taste no. so um it's a it's yeah it, it's that's why the government really needs to step in and say look cut sugar in everything mm. and make it more expensive mm. and the population will get used to it mm. in fact they will they will then not like sugar mm. And I mean, at the same time they do that, why don't, since uh, in in Europe we have two little vegetables and fruit, so why don't take away the VAT on uh, fresh fruit and vegetables, maybe to stimulate people to buy more of that? It's it's very hard. Um, I teach in Cambridge University in the public health department. It's very hard to change behaviour for a population. Mm. Um It's easier, actually, if someone's been diagnosed with a, with cancer or another illness because they have a thing called a teachable moment, and that's they're more likely to change. Um, but there's a whole um, psychology be, be, between um, you know trying to change national behaviour. One element is price. Mm. Um, you know, as you say, healthy fruit should be should be cheaper mm. than unhealthy foods. Um, but it's you know education. Um, it's being seen as macho i remember, remember when smoking used to be seen as macho and mm. uh, i think that message is gone you mean the, also the image to create image uh good images healthy as yeah. a good image yeah. and non-healthy as a bad image yeah because you know even in films in Hollywood, you see people eating burgers and smoking even this day and age uh, mm. and they look they're rather cool you know they don't care about things and you see people who are not who look after themselves healthy being seen as slightly wimpy and uh, less mm. cool you know that mm. that we you know that needs to be changed because it's mm. not it is cool to be healthy it's cool to be able to go for a run as long as you want you know and feel yeah, hit and not cool. be in and out of hospital on a on a drip you mm. know that's not cool no <laughs> but talking about that uh, we talked about car carcinogenics before and uh, i read in your book that pesticides could be carcinogenics. Would you recommend to try and have as much organic fruit and vegetables if possible? Um, yeah, we didn't talk about phytoestrogenic mm. um, carcinogens. 
or more accurately, they're called xenoestrogens uh, earlier on. Um, these these are present in pesticides, herbicides, plastics. Mm. Now, there's a big move against plastics, which I completely support. It's mm. far too many, and they they leak um, they leak chemicals which are estrogenic. Mm. So they're going to make men um, infertile, mm. and women will get uh, increased risk of breast and ovarian and uterine cancer. Um, they'll reduce the libido of mm. men. So um, you know, as a population. If you've got uh, men with a low libido and a, a low sperm count, mm. that'll be the end of mankind, won't it? It <laughs> would be a handmade tale if you've seen that. <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's lots of films based on yeah. that topic. I mean, but it's happening. You see crocodiles in the Amazon with small penises. You see wild mm. animals uh, becoming infertile. I mean, it is happening now. I mean, mm. the amount. So um, anyway, that's on a, a population in um, pollution type basis, mm. but on an individual, organic. Um, Yes, it will reduce your input of um, pesticides and herbicides. That's mm. that's for sure. Mm. Um, it's very hard to show on an individual basis whether that has an impact on health. Mm. Uh, in fact, most trials don't show that. We know you have left less levels in your bloodstream, mm. but it's, it would take a trial, you know, lasting twenty years with thousands of people to actually prove it. Mm. But on a common sense side of things, we're getting estrogenic pollutants in our shampoo, in our soap, in our drinking water, the air we breathe with pollution. So it sort of makes sense to try and limit it mm. if you can. But I wouldn't be totally paranoid about having to have everything organic. The other thing to remember, of course, when you have organic, the farming is different. So the animals are looked after better. Mm. There's less uh, pollutants going into the water system. And the soil. The soil, there's more hedgerows, there's using insects. There's a, so um, as an uh, ethical perspective, mm. I would completely support as much organic as possible. Mm. But, you know, don't, you don't have to pick up an apple, uh, you know, at arm's length with a, with a, with a caliper if it's not organic. You could it's still better eat to them. have the apple than not having the apple. Absolutely right, yeah. Mm. This is what we write in our book as well. <laughs> But I, I prefer organics if I if I if can, can find yeah. it, of course. So I have two, I mean, I have so many more questions, but I have two more questions that I need to ask you because I like wine mm. and I like coffee. Good. Mm. So I read that uh, it's preferable to choose red wine because it's less harmful. Mm. Um, there are some polyphenols in white wine, actually. Uh, we all talk about resveratrol, which mm. is in red wine. And resveratrol is is a very healthy polyphenol. Mm. Uh, we all, we know that people who drink red wine in the sun have less sun damage, you know, because it's protecting the DNA. If we you know, drink red wine in absolutely. the sun. Absolutely, yes. I presented a talk to the British Prostate Organization recently about lifestyle, and I said uh, the, th the three things which protect you from prostate cancer is... Uh, is sunbathing mm. um, without burning, drinking red wine and having more sex. So uh, I said, you know, that, that's, that's good that's things. Not a, yeah, so isn't, we're not, we're not uh, being horrible to people here. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, obviously too much red wine. Alcohol is, is at the end of the day a yes. carcinogen as well. But a good quality red wine uh, with lots of um, resveratrols is, is actually probably promotes gut health slightly. And it has anti-inflammatory properties. But obviously, if you do too much, you're going to get, mm. it's going to go the other way. But that's with everything. I mean, talking about having a lot of uh, fruit and vegetables, you also stress in your book, as we always say, that a variety 
is always important. Mm. Also, as you said, the polyphenols come from different families yeah. and they help each other and become stronger together. Yeah, I mean, uh, chocolate has, has lots of polyphenols in. Mm. Um, the trouble is with dark chocolate, cho- well, chocolate might have sugar. So if you do have chocolate, get the 100% sugar free and you can always mix it with fruit yeah. to make it. Uh, um, um, it does have uh, theolene in, which which, is, which can uh, give people some people a headache. It's a stimulant. Mm. It's a bit like caffeine. So mm. that's the problem with dark chocolate. Coffee, mm. uh, people say, oh, you know, I smoke, but I don't drink coffee. Well, um <laughs> I'm afraid uh, the, 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 nearly all the studies, these pop, big population studies, when they ask if you take coffee, um, they're, they're, it shows a slight reduction in bowel cancer mm. risk, for example, and probably a reduction in heart disease because it's a vasodilator. So it's not particularly harmful. Mm. Uh, well, it's not harmful at all. It's probably slightly ben- beneficial, especially if it's a good coffee made from coffee beans. Tea is likewise healthy. Mm. One thing we did, um, we are going to publish this year, so I'm not sure if I should tell you, but I think I will anyway. Mm. Uh, if you add sugar to your tea and coffee, you mitigate the benefits, which mm. is not a surprise. So when we asked the question, do you drink tea or coffee? If the answer was yes, we looked to see if they subsequently had cancer. It was less. We then said, do you have tea and coffee? But add sugar to it, it they'd had no benefit. So it, 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 if you put sugar in your coffee, I'm afraid it's not healthy. Oh, and this is a study we will be able to read about later this year. Yes, it's coming out later in the year. Oh, right. (laughs) This is a preview. Okay, so uh, I'm so grateful that you came. And I could actually recommend everyone to read your book because everyone I know wants to stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And I guess these uh, advices are not only for cancer, but for many lifestyle-related diseases. Yes, I mean, um, cancer is a chronic degenerative disease. So it's Mm. in the same ballpark as diabetes, joint pains, dementia. So the the advice is pretty much the same. It's Mm. about getting your body to help yourself. And uh, what we try to do in the book is is to have as much evidence base as possible so we can dispel the myths which are being exposed to people all the time through uh, overzealous journalists, Mm. perhaps. So thank you so much, Dr. Thomas. Thank you. You have listened to the Food Pharmacy Show with Lina Natby and Mia Klase, joined by special guest Professor Robert Thomas. Links to the studies he mentioned in the interview can be found on keephealthy.com. The podcast is edited by me, Sebastian Ring, and I've also composed all the music. For more food pharmacy content, visit foodpharmacyco.com and follow us on Instagram, food underscore pharmacy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.